Chapter thirty one of the Grell Mystery. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Christine Blashford. The Grell Mystery by Frank Froust. Chapter thirty one. It was with an eagerness sternly suppressed that Heldon Foyle took from a messenger the note which he knew contained Grell's advertisement. Although outwardly he was the least emotional of men, he always worked at high tension in the investigation of a case. No astronomer could discover a new comet, no scientist a new element with greater delight than that which animated the square-faced detective while he was working on a case. He drew out the sheet of paper gingerly between his fingernails and tested it with graphite. Eight or nine fingerprints, some blurred, some plain, appeared black against the white surface, and he gave an ejaculation of annoyance. "'The fools! I warned them to handle it carefully. Now they've been and mixed the whole lot up.' He blew down one of the half-dozen speaking-tubes hanging at the side of his desk, and gave a curt order. When Green appeared, he was engrossed in copying the advertisement onto a writing-pad. He laid down his pen after a while. "'That you, Green? Send this up to Grant, and ask him to have it photographed. See if he can pick out any of the prints as being in the records or bearing on the case. Somebody's been pouring this all over, and the prints are probably spoilt. It's been printed out, too, so there isn't much chance of identifying the writing. Anyhow, we'll have a look more closely at it when the fingerprint people have done.' He bent once more to his desk with the copy of the cipher. He knew the key, and it was not necessary to resort to an expert. By the time the chief inspector came back, he had a neatly copied translation on his pad. "'Listen to this, Green,' he said. "'E.M. I'm now safe on board a barge moored below Tower Bridge, where no one will think of looking for me. Have good friends, but little money owing to action of police. Trust, little girl, you still believe in my innocence, although things seem against me. There are reasons why I should not be questioned.' shall try to embark before the mast in some outward-bound vessel. Crews will not be scrutinised so sharply as passengers. There are those who will let you know my movements. Fear the police may tamper with your correspondence, but later on, when hue and cry has died down, will let you know all. The two detectives looked at each other. A barge below Tower Bridge, repeated Green, with something like admiration. That was a good shot. He might have stayed there till doomsday without our hitting on him, or anyone taking any notice of him. "'I don't know,' said Foyle. "'A newcomer on the river would attract attention. "'These watermen know each other. "'There's only one way that I can see in which he would avoid being talked about. "'He is a watchman.' "'You're right, sir,' agreed the other emphatically. "'This is a matter where Rington of the Thames Division will be able to help us. "'Hope we can find him at Wapping. Shall I ring through?' "'There's no hurry for a minute or two, said Foyle. "'Let's get the hang of the thing right. "'There's probably some hundreds of barges below Tower Bridge. "'It will be as well to keep a close eye on the docks and shipping offices. "'You see, he asserts his innocence.' "'Hm,' commented Green, with an intonation that meant much. "'He says, too, that there are reasons why he shouldn't be questioned. "'Well, we shall see. "'There had better be an all-station message about the docks. "'Send two or three men down to Tilbury to watch outgoing boats there. "'We shan't need any other men from here. "'Rington staff know the river, and we'll get on best with them. "'I don't want to leave here until Blake lets us know more about the woman who left the advertisement. "'That gives us another possible clue.' It was some time before Rington, the divisional detective inspector at the head of the detective staff of the Thames Division, could be found, for like other branches of the CID, he and his men did their work systematically, and usually left their office at nine o'clock, only to return at six. At length, however, he was found at a Warfinger's office, where there had arisen some question of a missing case of condensed milk. Within half an hour he was at Scotland Yard. A tall man, with tired grey eyes, about the corners of which were tiny wrinkles, with a weather-beaten face and grey moustache, he aimed to look something like a riverside tradesman. There was a meekness in his manner and speech that deceived people who did not know his reputation. He spoke five languages fluently, and two more indifferently. 
Along the banks of the thirty-five-mile stretch of river for which he was responsible, he had waged incessant warfare on thieves and receivers for thirty years, till now practically all serious crime had disappeared. He it was who, a dozen years before, had fought hand-to-hand with a naked and greased river-thief armed with a knife, in a swaying boat under Blackfriars Bridge. He, too, solved the mystery of a man found dead in the Thames who had been identified by a woman as her husband, a daredevil adventurer and unscrupulous blackmailer, who was declared by a doctor and a coroner's jury to have been murdered. Step by step he had traced it all out, from the moment when a seaman on a vessel moored at one of the wharves had taken a fancy to bathe, and being unable to swim had fastened a line round his waist and jumped overboard. He had neglected to make the end on board properly fast and was swept away by the current. The rope had twirled around him and as the body swelled became fixed. A blow on the head from the propeller of a tug completed a maze of circumstantial evidence which might have served as an excuse to most men for giving up the problem. Yet Rington had solved it, and the record, which had never seen the light of publicity, was hidden in the archives of the service. This was the man Foyle had now called in. He stood with stooping shoulders, nervously twisting his shabby hat, apparently ill at ease. His nervousness dropped from him like a garment, however, when he spoke. Foyle made clear to him the purport of the excursion they were to embark on. "'Very good, sir,' he said. "'If you think the man you want is on the river, we will find him. "'I guess, as you say, he's got a job as a watchman. "'He's probably had to get somebody to buy a barge, "'for they don't give these jobs without some kind of reference. "'A reference could easily have been forged, but that doesn't matter. "'How soon can you get your men together?' "'An hour, perhaps two. "'They're scattered all over the place. "'I sent out to fetch him before I left Wapping. Three or four will be enough. "'With Green and yourself and myself, we should be able to tackle anything.' Have a launch and a motorboat at Westminster Bridge Pier in a couple of hours' time. If you can borrow them off someone so that they don't look like police craft, so much the better. I can do it, sir. Good. In two hours' time, then. And Heldon Foyle turned away, dismissing the subject from his mind. Green had gone upstairs to find how Grant of the fingerprint department had progressed in his scrutiny of the fingerprints on the advertisement. He found his specialist colleague with a big enlargement of the paper on which the advertisement had been written mounted on pasteboard and propped up in front of him, side by side with an enlargement of the prints found on the dagger. "'Any luck?' asked Green. Grant shifted his magnifying glass to another angle and grunted. "'Can't tell yet,' he said irritably. "'I've only just started. Go away.' "'Sorry I spoke, old chap,' said the other. "'Don't shoot. I'm going.' Grant rested his chin on one elbow and stared sourly at the intruder. "'Great heavens,' he said, "'isn't it enough to have two of my men ill "'when there are four hundred prints to classify, "'to have three newspaper reporters "'and a party of American sociological researchers "'down on me in one day without—' "'But Green had fled to the more tranquil quarters "'on the first floor. "'Mr. Foyle asking for you, sir,' said the clerk. "'He pulled open the door of the superintendent's room. "'Foyle had got his hat and coat on. "'Blake's wired that the woman has taken a ticket for Liverpool,' he said. "'He's gone on the same train. "'Now that's settled, let's see if we can't hurry Rington up.' End of chapter 31